Father, we ask that you would help us to know what it takes for us to restore our broken relationship. Father, I pray you would do that work of exposing it needs to be exposed of showing us where we want things more than they want you. Where we, we treat you as maybe the means but not the end. Where we deceive ourselves into thinking that there's something better in life than knowing you. Father, I pray the Holy Spirit would work in our hearts today. And that when we would come to terms with who you are, and the Lord, you would know who you are and want you for who you are. Please, Lord, we pray you restore our relationship. Lord, we recognize that if you didn't pursue us, we'd never know you. But you have. And so, Lord, where we need restoration, we need restoration. Where we need growth, we need growth. Where we need our eyes open for the first time, Lord, and those where we need that kind of salvation, we have to get you to do that. Please, Father, we pray that you would do this morning what only you can do, because we need you. We pray in Jesus' name, everyone here recess. Amen. I love that verse, verse 11. It's such a beautiful picture of seeking and finding the Lord. Moses talking to the Lord face to face and then speaks to his friends. And we, we have friends, don't we? Hopefully. We have the kind of friends that when we go and we speak to them, we just think, man, we're just always picking up what we left off. And, and you're just so thankful for those kinds of relationships. I'm, I I have I had three older brothers, one's passed away, but the other two are still around, and we don't really talk that much, but Occasionally, when I do get to see them every couple of years, we pick up where we left off, usually hitting each other. And, and I'm so I'm thankful for that kind of familiar relationship. I'm thankful for those kind of relationships where I can just pick up where I left off. And Moses has that kind of relationship with the Lord. And even that phrase, we'll come back to that phrase later on, that he talks to the Lord face to face. It's a really important thing to get our heads around. What does it mean? When we're talking about God, what does it mean to have a face-to-face -face relationship with Him? But it's also important, before we get into this, to think about the fact, you know, to ask the question, well, that's great for Moses, but is that ever going to happen for me? Because sometimes when we talk about knowing God personally, and we meet those people who seem to really know God, and we think, well, do I know God? Can I know God? Is that just for super saints like Moses? What does it really mean? And we don't want to forget where we're at in Exodus. Exodus 32, 33, and 34, they're kind of layered on top of each other. It's easy to look at them as kind of chronological. We started at this day, and we kind of switch out and end in this day. It's actually probably better for us to see that these things are interwoven. That God is teaching his people something. Moses is writing up stuff for future generations like us understand something. And it started last week with the Israelites not willing to wait 40 days for God to send Moses down with his word. They know his promise. They know God said he's going to get them into the promised land. 
They've seen that God had redeemed them out of slavery from Egypt. They're, they're down below in the valley, so to speak, as Moses is up on the mountain, getting instructions for the tabernacle where God will dwell in amongst his people. And they get impatient. And they demand that Aaron make them a god. Literally. Make us a golden calf. Because then what happened to Moses? And we need to get to the promised land. So Aaron does. And of course, this is what we call the sin of idolatry. Worshiping gods. False gods. Worshiping gods that we either make with our hands or with our head. We're worshiping gods that are of our own imagination. Gods that we can manage and, and control and manipulate. And God comes down he comes down hard because he doesn't want them to deceive themselves. I say this so often. I, I, I wonder if you guys believe me, or I wonder if you guys think this is true, or just some pithy little say. I, I say it so much, I'm never going to stop saying it as long as I'm here. That is, that God is clear in his word. He can give you nothing better than himself. And he is so on you having the best because they'll take away the good when we come to the end of it. And so we get to chapter, the end of chapter 32, if you remember last week, and Moses is interceding for his people and saying, God, you can't forget your mission or your promises or your character. you got to keep your promises to your people, God. And the God says, okay, fine. I won't lie to you. And when we pick it up in verse 33, just as we read, listen, verse 33, or I'm sorry, chapter 33, 3, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people who you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites and the Jebusites go to a land flowing with milk and honey. Stop right there. We've heard these words before because God promises way back in chapter 2 and 3 to Moses. Or in chapter 4, I don't remember. He's reiterated that promise again and again. This is what Moses was kind of interceding for. And God wanted Moses to say, Moses, I've heard your prayers. And I want you, I'm going to make sure you get to the promised land. I'm going to make sure that you get to the promised land. What does he say in verse 3? Go to that land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. How do you guys receive what God's saying? But what God is saying, he's saying, listen, I will give you all the provision you need. I will fulfill every promise, but I won't be with you. In other words, you can get everything that you see as good coming from me. Every, every good that I promise for you, you can have all that without me. Take that in mind. God said you can have my provision without my presence. In a real sense, it's like God is saying, you know, let's just erase and throw away the last seven chapters here. Seven to four, seven to The whole time that Moses spent 
on the mountaintop receiving the revelation of what the tabernacle would be, how God would dwell among his people, why that was important, how that was going to happen. Just check it aside, forget it. I'll just give them the promised land. They don't want me. I'll just give them what they want. That's what he's offering. Maybe you and I would prefer having all the good stuff from God without God. This is the history of humanity. The history of humanity has been wanting to pursue the blessings of God or the good that Christianity brings without God, without Christ. And it's because, listen, we actually don't believe. We don't believe that God can give us anything but himself, or we don't believe that God has already offered us himself. So they ask him, God's basically saying, do you want my provision without my presence? Well, how do they respond? Look at verse 4. It says, when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For God had spoke, uh, for God, I'm sorry, for the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you're a stiff-necked people, if for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount uh, Horeb onward. Now, here's what the people are doing. They are repenting. It's interesting that they're taking off all this, all the ornaments, all the gold and silver. This is all the stuff that they would have kind of had with them that they would have gotten from the Egyptians, right? This is the stuff that God had said he's going to take an offering from so they can build the tabernacle, the place where God will dwell. They can turn it into worship, basically. And God says to them, so I want you to take this stuff off. And they do. They repent. They say, they say forget it. We don't want this. We're taking it off. In a sense, they're, they're, this is the, <clears throat> these were the earrings and things, remember, that they gave to Aaron, and Aaron molded into a, a calf they could worship. They're distancing themselves from the materials of the false god they made. They're saying, we don't even want to get to the close of the materials. We don't even want that. But here's also the thing we need to recognize. It's really clear, isn't it, in verse 5? That it's God who initiated their repentance. It's God who said, this is what I want. But also, do you notice that he says, here, what he says in verse 5? <coughs> i got to find it again. There it is. He, he said, uh, so now take off your uh, ornaments at the end of verse 5, that I may know what to do with you. He doesn't tell them what the result's going to be. And this is important, too, because this is the, what Israel needed to see. Israel needed to recognize the impact of their sin. They need to see what happens when you decide, I want God's blessings without God. Or, I, I want what God does, but I don't want who God is. When we want to form a God in our own imagination. God's saying, you need to understand what happens here. You can have repentance and still not have assurance. You're not assured that God's actually doing something. They, they had to see this. Now, this is the thing that you have to understand. Obviously, God initiating this repentance means this. He wants them to turn back to him. There, there's no doubt of that. 
The context will also bear this out. There's no doubt that God wants his people. But often, here's what God will do. God will allow heavy things into our life. God will even put us in a place where we know we need to repent, and we're just not sure if it's working. I remember speaking to a young man that I was exhorting to turn back to the Lord after he was doing some things he knew he wasn't supposed to be involved in, and and, uh, and he came to me, and we talked through it, and we prayed through it, and he, he repented with tears, and we dealt with some of the material, so to speak, of, of, of that sin. And, and then about a week later, I saw him, and he was still just absolutely miserable. I go, why are you so miserable? You repented. God's forgiving you. And he's like, oh, I know God's forgiving me. I just feel like I just, I'm so far from him. As we talked more about his lifestyle, as we talked more about the pattern of his Christianity, for the last decade before, there was this pattern of him constantly going back to this false god, this thing that he found was more important to him than God himself. And we both kind of concluded maybe what God's doing is not holding back his forgiveness, but he's holding back his assurance until he was, until, until the man himself knew he was ready to repent. He was really wanting God. And I wonder if some of us are in that place. I wonder if some of us are in a place where God's holding things back, not because he doesn't want us, because he, but he, that he wants us to see the actual quality of our faith. Jesus had no problem saying to the disciples that he loved, that he chose, to say to them, man, you have such little faith. Or where is your faith? He had no problem doing that. Why? Because he didn't want them? No, because he did want them. Because they were his And so you have a situation here where God is wanting to pull them in. Listen, he's not trying to produce in them insecurity, but to prove to them their security only comes from knowing who he is, who he truly is. That's what he's wanting them to see. Now, in this context, in Exodus, of course, Israel's going through this because of a a sin they chose, a real blatant sin of idolatry they chose. Sometimes we're going through really hard stuff, and it's not because of our sin. It's not because we don't, (coughs) I'm not saying we don't sin all the time. Of course, we sin all the time. But often, our trials have nothing to do with our sin. We we need to know that. And I I hope, especially you guys are going through some pretty heavy things. I am not saying that you're going through heavy things because of your sin. Not at all. But we do have to understand that God allows us to go through heavy things to do this work in our hearts. What did Jesus say? Blessed are those who are pure of heart. Why? For they shall you remember? See God. Listen, Peter writes it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, <clears throat> very sorry. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. <clears throat> various doesn't mean like... <clears throat> it's like colds and coughs. Various meaning diverse and multitude. So that, listen, that the tested genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the result, to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is when Jesus returns. In other words, thank you so much. <coughs> God is willing to set us under the fire to purify our faith, 
so that we can enjoy the greatest thing that he can give us himself. See, Israel, if they're going to restore the relationship, they need to recognize the impact of sin. What sin does, sin starts telling us. Remember, we've talked about this before. Sin deceives us. It tells us when we sin, we, we, this, uh, our sinfulness kind of tells us, hey, it's not that big of a deal. It doesn't really do anything. Especially when we sin and go, oh, I should, uh, God forgive me. All right, I move on. But sin creates a hardness in us. When we choose to sin, our hearts get hard. Our hearts get blind. We start missing the God who loved us enough to die for our sins. And this is why God calls us to repentance. But also, we get to verse 7, and here's what we see also that Israel needed. Israel needed the presence of their mediator. God's kind of teaching them again the lesson that they learned at Mount Sinai when God first showed up and they recognized they needed a mediator. Now, verses 7 to 11, I need to say, from verses 7 to 11, this is what we call a parenthetical uh, statement or, or a, a, um, a paragraph. It's, it's, there's something here that's kind of inserted. It's like those little thought bubbles that, say, that kind of like, oh, by the way, this is happening over here. This is kind of what God's doing. Let me just read verse 7 and I'll explain. It says, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting, and everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Now, there are two opinions. This could be that Moses is just talking about something Moses did before he went up to Mount Sinai and got the instructions for the tabernacle. Could be that. Or it's something that Moses began to do when he saw that, that the Israelites had committed idolatry, and he thought, you know what, I'm pitching my tent outside and this is what's going to happen, okay? Either way, this section is about, it's a parenthetical section meant to highlight how close Moses' relationship was to God. Because it's Moses' closeness that helps him mediate, that actually qualifies him to mediate for God's people. Now, look at verse 8. Whenever Moses would win out, to the tent, all the people would rise up. Each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud, remember that's a sign of God's presence, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the pillar and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the, of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. And so what you have going on here is, is basically making it clear through this statement that God's people only experience God's presence as Moses did. In other words, as Moses experienced God's presence. And, he, and, he, and he's wanting them to see this. He's, Moses wants the reader to know this. This is the case. There's a mediation that happened. In fact, interesting the way this works. Moses goes outside the tent, uh, or outside, outside the camp, sorry, God's presence descends, and the people worship in their own tents. That actually kind of ties up all of the book of Acts. <laughs> this is the good book of Acts. You see the book of Acts, where, where, uh, or the, the end of the Gospels in the book of Acts, where Jesus is crucified outside the camp, so to speak, outside Jerusalem. He's resurrected, right? He, then, then he shows himself to the disciples. He ascends to heaven. He sends God's spirit, the presence of God, right? And what do they do? They each worship in their tents from then on. The gospel spreads and they worship throughout all the camp. That's the earth, so to speak. So, so what you have going on here is kind of this picture of this is how God works. God sends a mediator. 
Where that mediator is, God descends his presence. And where his presence descends, from there the people worship in their own place of life. Now, this is what's really important. God's doing this. God provided, listen, Moses' access to himself. Whether this was before or after, it doesn't matter. God provided Moses access to himself, listen, so as to provide access to himself for God's people. This is really important to see. Because as we read the tone of God, God's saying, I would wipe these guys out if I spent time with them because they're that stiff-necked and stubborn. As we see God kind of, kind of plotting and kind of poking at Moses, God is wanting Moses, he's wanting his people to see how he's going to restore that relationship. This is his desire. He's not playing hard to get. He's not just kind of a grumpy, moody sort of God. He's wanting them to see, listen, I still want you in my presence. You have to see how this is going to work. So then when we get to verse 11, we read what? As we read earlier. <laughs> Thus, the Lord used, used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Face to face. Remember, we're, we're going to see later on that God says, you can't see my face and live, okay? So don't think of Moses and, and God kind of like seeing each other that way. But face to face is, a, is, a, is an idea here of free and open fellowship. This is what God wants for us. When people talk about having a relationship with God or enjoying intimacy with God or fellowship with God, however the language they use, they're really probably talking about this, a free and open fellowship. The kind of relationship where you know you're loved and you love the other. Don't we all want that? Don't we want more than just a, a sense of I got a ticket to heaven when I die or I got a hope beyond the grave or I, I, I got someone I can talk to or who will help me occasionally? Sometimes we treat God as like the biggest good luck charm of all as opposed to someone we can have a real relationship. The creator of the universe, the one who spoke all things to, into existence, the one that holds all things together by the power of his word, that being who has always enjoyed his own presence, Father, Son, and Spirit forever, that being came down as a man so that you could speak with him face to face. So you could have a real, intimate, open relationship with him. And God is, is, is doing this stuff with Moses. He's having this parenthetical statement to make sure that, that the readers understand, I did this through Moses, I did this with Moses. And everything he says here, guess what? We can have through Jesus. In fact, do you know what Jesus' name is in Hebrew? Anybody know? How do you say Jesus in Hebrew? Yeshua, or as we see here, Joshua. Listen, when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, not Jesus, by the way, Joshua, but still, same name, his assistant Joshua, the son of a young man, would not depart from the tent. Now, part of this could be that he's guarding any un, un, uh, authorized access. He can't just kind of barge into the, God's presence that way. That's part of it. It could be that. But there's also a sense here where, where it seems that Joshua is going, man, 
If this is where God's going to meet his people in Moses' tent, I want to be right there. I ain't moving from this place. Joshua's going to take Moses' place one day, isn't he? And he's doing exactly what he needs to do. The first step of leadership, listen, you guys who want to be in leadership, the first step of leadership is learning to be intimate with your God. Joshua's right there. I want to be with my God. But here's the thing that's even more mind-blowing to me than than all of this, right? This, This whole picture that God's trying to give Israel, Israel needed to see it's the presence of their mediator, of Moses, that's going to allow them to have a restored relationship This is where it's going to be. What's even more mind-blowing to me is this free and open fellowship, This even this this guarding of unauthorized access to the presence of God can't get defiled, and and, and this closeness with God. Jesus has provided all of that for us. All of it. We have that with him. (coughs) In fact, Jesus talked to his disciples this way. He said in John chapter 15, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. Do you realize in that, Jesus is saying to his disciples, listen, the intimacy, the closeness that I have with my father, I'm giving to you as my father. You ever had a, such a close friend that, that, that someone that you cared for so much that you were close to that their family became your family? I, I had a few of those growing up, and I'm thankful I did because my family wasn't exactly the most functional. And it was lovely to have parents, especially moms, who mothered me. I loved it. That I was close to their sons. I was buddies with their sons, and so they mothered me as if I was one of their sons. Beautiful. Jesus is saying, I got that for you and even more. Why? Because he's the one who mediates for us. Do you you understand why this picture is so important? Can you see, I hope you can see God's fingerprints here in Exodus 33. I I hope you can hear the echoes of Exodus 33 in the New Testament. (coughs) That God is doing this work for us in Jesus. See, just like Israel, they, they needed to see, recognize the impact of their sin what it does is it ruins relationship, our relationship with God. And Israel needed to see, they needed the presence of their mediator. It was Moses and his relationship with God that was going to be what God used to build the bridge, to get them right in relationship with God. We need to see that about Jesus even more so. Moses couldn't die for anybody's sins. Jesus died for all of our sins. But also, listen, Israel needed something else. Israel needed the revelation of God's goodness. Because we're, we see this parenthetical statement and then we jump back more into the timeline of our story in verse 33, uh, chapter 33, verse 12. Look at what it says, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you have also found favor in my sight. Notice that phrase, found favor. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know and know you in order to find favor in your sight. That phrase, find favor, some of you guys in your versions, it says, found, find grace. And, and that's because grace means unmerited favor. That's the idea. And, and really what you have going on here is Moses is, 
is basically saying, okay, if I've found favor, if I find favor, I need to understand how this works. If, if God, if, you, if you've given me grace, if I, I'm your favored one, how does this work? Is it just me getting something from God, or do I get you, or do I get you yourself? Is that what it means? In fact, he goes on to say in verse 13, notice, he says, he, he kind of reminds God of why he's doing this, and consider too that this nation is your people. See, see what, what Moses is doing here is he's saying, Lord, I don't want to lead your people without you. I, you know, I, 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 I don't want to be in charge without knowing that you're in charge. You're the one who's actually doing this. It's got to be you that's with me. I need this kind of insurance. These are your people. And so verse 14, what does God say to him? God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I love this. Because this is part of, of God showing his goodness to Moses, even here. He's saying, God, my Moses, my, my Moses, my goodness is expressed, is expressed in my presence and my rest. Moses, I'm going to give this to you. So it's almost like God saying, okay, Moses, don't worry, I got you. I'm going to give you my presence and my rest. But Moses wants something else. Look at verse 15. And he said to them, uh, and uh, that is, Moses said to God, if your presence will not go with me, notice, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have, again, there it is again, found favor in your sight, I and your people, it is not, uh, if, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Do you see what Moses is doing here? Moses is saying, I don't want your presence apart from your people. This is where we got to really think. This is where we, as individual Westerners, really need to think. Because what God is saying to Moses, or what Moses is saying to God, I should say, what Moses is praying to God is saying, God, I, I, I know that I'm your favorite one. I know I have your grace, okay? But I don't want to experience that unless it's meant to be experienced with your people because everything you've said so far is what you want to do is manifest your glory through your people for the rest of the world. So I don't want anything less than you already said you wanted to do. This is important. It's important because, because Moses is acknowledging, he knows that his distinctness is not as an individual. I'm Moses. I have a really cool beard. I look like Charlton Heston. I'm Moses. I could carry the Ten Commandments up and down, running up and down a mountain, even in my 80s, because I'm Moses. That wasn't his distinctness. His distinctness, listen, was about him being among God's people. I'm distinct, not because I'm distinct, but because we're distinct. God, you have set us apart as your people. I want you to think about this for a second. Because what we tend to do, as, for those of you who aren't Westerners, okay, you've come here from uh, Eastern countries, you probably see this, don't you? You see how individualistic uh, people can be in the West. Maybe, maybe some of that's appealing to you because 
maybe the corporate culture that you've been from or the, the, or the, the, the culture where what community thinks is more important than what you think has been a lot of pressure. I, I, I don't know. I've not lived in that culture. But as Westerners, we don't even realize that we're like this. It's like a fish realizing that they're wet. It's just their environment. Our individualism, our thinking about me, what I want, what I think, who I am, that's how we are. And yet God is saying something, I think, to, to us today through this. Through Moses' attitude, where Moses says, God, I, I don't want your presence without your people. Listen, God is saying something to us. Do we want God without God's people? Okay, God's not an option. I have to believe in Jesus. But church, eh, no big deal. Or I'll have my few select friends. These people are, these people are important, but the rest of the people that are different than me, nah, it's too much work. But isn't maybe what God wants to do is show that we are a distinct people because of him? What happens in verse 17? Moses prays this, right? <coughs> in verse 17, and the Lord says to Moses, here's, here's your answer. This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I do know you by name. So, so here's how God answers. God says, you know what? This very thing that you're asking to do is exactly what I'm going to do. And guess what else we know from this? Exactly what he's always wanted to do. God wants, as he said before, he's reading it again. I'm going to do this, Moses. His promise here demonstrates that he's always wanted to dwell among our people. Here's the problem. In the West, we tend to overemphasize our individual experience of God. Now, now here's the reality. God, we do experience God as individuals. No no one can can choose for you. you. No one can believe for you. They can believe with you. They can believe God for his work in your life, but you have a choice to make as far as responding to God. You have a choice to make. Okay, but, but here's the reality. We tend to sort of emphasize this idea that, that, that God dwelling with me is what's most important. Now, here's what we're going to see when we get into 1 Corinthians. God dwelling with me as an individual, what that's meant to motivate is holiness. God, you're with me always. I need to walk with you as my holy God. We'll see this when we get to 1 Corinthians 6. Specifically, sexual wholeness. This is interesting. But what the Bible emphasizes, we're going to see this in Corinthians, what the the scripture emphasizes is God dwelling among us. That we collectively are God's tabernacle. And what that's meant to motivate, we'll see this when we get to 1 Corinthians 3, it's meant to motivate us to see God's character revealed in our gatherings. God, you bring us together to show us yourself, to share your glory. You want to see God's goodness? Learn to relate to God's people. Now, Moses doesn't want God's presence without God's people. How about us? Well, God makes this great promise in verse 17. Moses, I'm going to do exactly what you said. And I bet right now Moses is like, oh, this is amazing. And it is amazing. If you know the joy of answered prayer, you know what this is about. It's amazing when you seek God for something and God goes, I'm going to do that exact thing. And you're like, wow. God, when you see God answer the prayer, you're like, wow, God, you're so good. So what does Moses do? He asks for more. Smart guy. Verse 18. Moses said to God, please show me your 
glory. Please show me your glory. Now, this whole section from verses 18 and the 23 really dovetails into chapter 34. So a lot of when we talk about what God's glory is, we're going to unpack next, next time in verse 34. But I, I want you also to, to notice what, God, what Moses is doing here. Moses is, is embold, emboldened. He, he's, he's so cheeky to say, God, I want more. And what's he wanting more of? God. God, I want more of you. You, if you're a God that is this good, that even when you should rightly, you're right when you say you should wipe out your people if you get too close, and you should do this, but you're so good, God, that you're going to answer my prayer, and you're going to meet me here, and you're going to do exactly what you said to your people, even though they're stiff-necked people. God, if you're this good, I want more of you. What about us? Right here, right now. We want more of God. We want more of Him. The author of Hebrews, in talking about how great Jesus is as our mediator, our high, our high priest, he says what part of the part of the thing that should motivate us is our prayers. He says, "Let us then, with confidence, draw near." To the throne of grace. What did Moses find? He found grace or favor in God's sight. We found all grace in Christ, right? Let us therefore with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy <coughs> and find grace to help in time of need. See, God doesn't want us to draw near to him as we draw near to a vending machine. I really could go for a cola. I'm going to put in my money. I'm going to press the buttons. I'm going to get what I want. Ah, oh, that's nice. We don't have a relationship with a vending machine. God wants us to approach him for who he is, the good God that does good things to undeserving people. Verse 19. And he said, here's what God, God says to Moses, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. This is what we're really going to get into next time. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show <coughs> mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, <coughs> he said, <coughs> sorry. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Now, I love this phrase, I will show, I will be gracious to him, I will be gracious, I will show mercy to him, I will show mercy. The Apostle Paul uses it in Romans chapter 9 to kind of say, God chooses the people that he chooses. It's up to him. Uh, what's interesting about this is, is, is that, in a sense, this is meant to assure Moses about his people this people that God has said, I've wiped these people, I, would, I could wipe these people out because they're so stiff-necked, but God says, but they're mine. And I'll show compassion to you, I'll show compassion, I'll show mercy to you, I'll show mercy. That's what it's used in this context. And it's like God is saying this, listen. God is saying, listen, Moses, I'm not gonna just give you more of me. 
I'm not going to give you more of me. I'm not going to give you what you can't handle of me, but I'm going to give you everything you need about me. I, I'm a firm believer, and I, I can't point to specific scripture that backs this up, but I'm a firm believer that God will give us as much of himself as we will take. The truth is, when you look at church history, when you look at scripture, when you look at, especially if you look at the, re, the history of revivals in, around the world, it starts with people not saying, everything's so bad, fix the world, fix the culture, fix our country. It starts with people saying, God, we don't have you, though we were meant to have you, and we want more of you. It's obvious from what the way our country is, or the way our church is, or the way our family is, that we don't have more of you, but we want more of you. We settle for so little, and God wants to give us so much more. Almost done. And the Lord said, verse 21, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. <coughs> the word that she's there for back is never used anywhere else to, to describe an anato- uh, some part of a person's body. It's like you're going to see, you're going to see kind of like, the, the, the results, that you're going to see the evidence that I was here. It's kind of like if someone does donuts, uh, you know what donuts are? They get in the car, they drive too fast in a, in a gravel car park, and then they drive off. You might hear it, and then you look and you go, yeah, I know what they did, because you see the evidence. It's kind of like that. You're going to see what I've done. Listen, Moses couldn't see God, but he can know God through what God does. Listen. The Bible says this in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but you, the unique one, that's Jesus, who is himself God, is near the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. We've not seen God, but we've seen what God does through Jesus. <coughs> and it's the perfect picture of who God is. Later on, Jesus would say to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Nicodemus being a religious leader who should have known God's word really well, but obviously didn't know God as well as he needed to, he says to Nicodemus, don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. Listen, the wind blows whatever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Here's what this means. Jesus is saying, listen, Something has to happen to you that, that is from God, that only God can do, and you won't know it's happened until it's happened. That's what he's saying. And every one of you who doesn't come from a charismatic or Pentecostal church is getting really nervous right now. But this is Jesus' language. He's saying, you haven't seen God You've definitely not seen God's spirit, but you know when God's spirit gives you the new life that I'm going to come and die to give you. You know, and here's how you know. Here's how you know, listen, that you've been born of God's spirit. You want more of God. So here's how it ends. And Rory's going to come up and finish this uh, with a song.
Here's how it ends. We have to, to ask ourselves, if we want to have a restored relationship, a relationship with God, do we recognize the impact of our sin? Our sin hardens our hearts. It keeps us from a real relationship with God. Or are we content just to get God's provision without God's presence? Are, are we in a place where we recognize we need a mediator and we have a mediator way better than Moses? His name is Jesus. He stands in the gap. His relationship with God has always been and will always be perfect. And that's what qualifies us to have a relationship with God. Do we want to see more of God's goodness? God, I want to see how good you are. I believe, help my unbelief. Do we want more of God? Because God wants to give us more of himself. So we're going to sing the song, and I'm going to ask uh, the house group leaders if you can come up uh, up here. Can the house group leaders come up either side, some on this side, some on this side? And uh, as the house group leaders are here, and we're, we're, <coughs> we're always playing the song, um, I want to give you an opportunity to come and just be prayed for. Because sometimes what happens is that you do want more of God, but you haven't dealt with that sin. Maybe you just need prayer, prayer for that. Or maybe you do know you do want more of God, but you don't know you need someone to help you take that step towards God. This is what we're here for. And I bet you these guys would say they need God as more of God as much as you guys do. Amen? So we're going to sing this song, and if you are already a believer in Jesus and you want more of him, you want your relationship fully restored, then come up and be prayed for. And also, if you're here today and you don't yet know God, you know about him, but you don't know him. Be honest about that. Let yourself be exposed because anyone who exposes their heart to God gets covered up by the righteousness of Christ. So we're always going to sing this song. If you need prayer for anything, please come up and do that.